Welcome to Small Steps Living, the The podcast. podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cordaff, bringing you inspiring stories to help you transform your life one small step at a time. Here at Small Steps Living, we're keeping it real. Kick back and And enjoy enjoy the show. show. Hey there, the Small Steps Living podcast is now an audio version of Small Steps TV. You can check out Small Steps TV on YouTube, my Facebook page, and of course, the smallstepsliving.com website. But you know, some of us don't have time to watch. So here is your chance to listen to the latest episode of Small Steps TV. Enjoy. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode. You know what? I reckon that probably for about the past three years, I've been wanting to interview and talk to the woman who I am speaking to today. And it's because I've seen what she has created. I think it's exceptional and I think that we should all be a part of it. But not only that, you know when someone has a really interesting story and they've done a little bit of a pivot in their career and their life and you just want to hear more about how that happened. That's what's going on today. We have Elise Bailey who is the founder of Mindful in May with us on the podcast. Welcome, Elise. Hello, Lisa. So excited to be here and couldn't agree more. We've been, we've sort of been connecting sort of (laughs) virtually and we found out that we live literally probably two blocks away from each other. And uh, it's great to be here. It's so cool. Like we could literally be in each other's lounge room right now (laughs) if we could only get ourselves organized. But you know, this is the whole conversation, isn't it? Everyone's got their lives going on. And sometimes we just can't take a moment to just pause and think about better ways to do things. And that's sort of it today. But I wanted to talk to you first because you're actually a doctor and Mm -hmm. you're the creator of Mindful in May. How many years has it been around now? It's been six years. Six years. That's crazy. And it's become this huge global event. But I would really love to know what sparked this for you. Like, why did you start it? I'd love to share that. Can I just tell people what it is who might not know? People know what it is? Yeah. Just in a nutshell, just so people know what we're talking about. It's a one-month global online meditation campaign and it aims to basically teach people meditation and also inspire them to do something good in the world. So they get sponsored to commit to 10 minutes of meditation a day and they raise money to bring clean water to people in need in developing countries. The whole thing about the program is that it's science-based, it's made doable and simple so that busy people can just learn how to meditate and find better ways of navigating through life with less stress and greater ease. So that's what it is. And how it came to be was that I was working as a doctor, I was training in psychiatry, and I was really very interested and passionate about the brain and helping people to thrive basically. But along my own career path, I realized that I was learning a lot about the brain in despair and in crisis, really when we get to our absolute worst. And I wasn't having much opportunity to study the brain and understand the brain and mind at its best. So the long story short is that I ended up sort of gravitating towards meditation. I'd been introduced to it from quite a young age, although I hadn't been practicing it. I'd been reading lots of books about it. 
Um, yeah, and I, that's I always was, the thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, I was really good at reading about meditation, <laughs> not so good at putting my bum on the chair and actually being still and doing it. Cause actually I think that terrified me and I'm a real doer and very active. So it was like the opposite of my idea of fun, but I got really interested in meditation and being someone who had come from a very, I guess, scientific education. I started to discover the research around meditation. I was going to lots of conferences and there was a moment in time where this all came together for me and I really saw that there was a massive paradigm shift going on in how we were understanding the mind and the brain and what we need to do in order to support this incredible organ to flourish. So that got me really, really excited. And I just followed that curiosity. And in some ways I was kind of living a double life. I was you know, training in psychiatry, but then I was going on long silent meditation retreats in my annual leave. And then Mindful in May really emerged, I guess, as an integration of really three things that I was really passionate about. One of them was mindfulness and the impact that I was experiencing in my own life and also seeing for some of the patients because I started running groups in the psychiatric clinics. And I felt that this was just such a powerful tool and I just wanted to share it more widely. I felt like this was really important and could really help a lot of people. So it was the mindfulness. And at the same time, it was a time, you know, six years ago was a time where Facebook and social media was really starting to build and it was still an open platform. So I saw a potential to really harness technology to create a global community. And then finally, I guess I've always been very strongly driven in the area of social activism and I spent quite a long time in Africa in my 20s and this idea of global poverty was just my bugbear and so I brought that sort of social good aspect in and also because I think that essentially when we turn our attention outwards and we connect with the world as a whole, it actually makes us happier and we can be of service in the world. So that's really how it evolved and it I started it off as an idea and it was kind of playful and I was just really following my passion. And then over time it grew and grew and I really just tuned into what the people were telling me and needing and there really seemed to be a need for it. And I just kept really loving running it and doing it. It was very deeply fulfilling for myself. So that's how it evolved. It's so amazing. And I'm thinking about six years ago and even just the use of the word mindfulness do you think that people have a better understanding of that now like were you kind of educating people on it six years ago has that changed is there a growing awareness of mindfulness and there's probably more people out there like you potentially me who are like I get it I'm Mm. not I'm not doing it where do you reckon we're at, like the general population is at in terms of embracing mindfulness? So, yeah, I definitely think that when I started Mindful in May, I think people knew about mindfulness, particularly in the areas of psychology and health, because it's been there for a while. But in terms of the mainstream, the last six years has been a really interesting time. It's spread exponentially. And I see that as a result of both the research. So each year there's about, you know, there's thousands of research studies coming out about mindfulness. So over the last six years, if you look back, like we now have a really rigorous library of study and science that supports this practice. So that kind of helps spread the idea. And then also social media makes ideas spread faster. 
And I think also over the last six years, it's been such a time of, you know, increased technological development and people are really starting to feel the impact of distraction and fragmented attention to the point that we really, I think everyone's realizing we actually need actively to train our minds. Otherwise we become slaves of our technology rather than technology serving us. So I think, yeah, it's definitely changed. And I think, you know, when I started, there weren't sort of apps around and now there's plenty of different meditation apps and there's so many more resources around. Yeah. I think people are just understanding that this is a practice that can be really beneficial. And I think also, if you look in the landscape around schools, you see this is becoming, you know, embedded into schools now. So I think it's great when people are a little bit skeptical about things that become popular. I know I certainly am. And I think that when things become a bit of a buzzword, you have to watch out a little bit, but if I didn't know about the science, I would probably be thinking that myself, but I just know that what we're seeing is, as I said, it's a paradigm shift. It's a new understanding of the mind and the brain. It's almost like, imagine the time, and I don't know when this was, when we didn't know about brushing our teeth. You know, it was just like no one brushed their teeth and everyone had bad teeth and cavities. And then suddenly science and education came and now all of us just brush our teeth. It's what we do. I really feel that that's where this is heading. You know, we're really going to understand that if we want to maintain our mental well-being, we need to actually invest time into training our minds and our brains. It's really, really fascinating to me that you're a psychiatrist. (laughs) And I'm interested to know, do people, like, are they now teaching about this stuff when you are training in psychiatry and psychology, I I would assume. But is your hope, I mean, mental illness is such a huge, huge Huge. area. We can't go into everything right now, no. But were you sort of thinking like if we can really start to incorporate more of this stuff into our lives, raise awareness about it, create a daily habit around it, that you would almost be seeing less patients or people end up? Right. Okay. 200%. Let me just qualify. It's a semantic point, but I'm actually not a psychiatrist because what happened to me is I was doing the whole training and one year before I completed it, Mindful in May just erupted. So I jumped over and leapt to Mindful in May and then never came back to psychiatry. So I, just want, <laughs> I just want to clarify that so that, you know, any not of my psychiatry qualified. colleagues will be listening and thinking, oh, I don't know if that's it. So anyway, just to clarify that, but... <laughs> So there's really interesting research. So first of all, for the listeners, yeah, mental health is huge. And the World Health Organization states that depression is now the leading cause of ill health and global burden of disease worldwide. So we have a really massive problem. And, you know, I'm sure anxiety is not very far off that. And so, yeah, I 100% believe that if we teach people how to use their minds skillfully, from a very young age, then we have ways of managing stress and life much more effectively. Of course, not to underestimate the influence of genetics, you know, and not to sort of make people feel like it's their fault if they're depressed or anxious, and also not to undermine the impact and the importance of medication in some contexts. But I just think to empower people, to give them a tool and a sense of agency that they can manage their anxiety and they don't just have to take a tablet or they can take the tablet and have skills is essential. And so I just wanted to raise um, some really interesting research that was done around mindfulness, which showed that after doing two months of mindfulness through a particular structured program, 
people that had had multiple relapses in depression actually had less likelihood of, you know, the relapse rate was significantly reduced to the point that it was equal and in some studies even more effective than antidepressants. So it's really substantial research and people have different models in their mind of how they want to heal themselves. And some people just want to take medication. That's fine. But these practices really are powerful. And another piece of the research, which I think was fascinating is people that suffer anxiety. If you put them under a brain scanner and you look at their amygdala, which is the part of the brain that's the worry and the fear center, that part of the brain is actually larger in volume than people that aren't suffering from that. And if these people then go and do a two-month mindfulness program and then they get put under the brain scanner again, that part of the brain, the amygdala, the worry fear center actually reduces in volume. And so what that's saying is that a practice that you're doing with your mind is actually changing the architecture of your brain. And through changing the architecture of your brain is actually changing the subjective experience of what it means to be human. You know, you're actually worrying less or having less, you're less good at doing fear and worry. So I think there's some pretty profoundly exciting research out there. Yeah. See, I've always felt like this with the small steps message as well. It's not necessarily all that sexy sometimes. Like people just are like, I just need this to be done with now. I need this big change now. I need a life overhaul. I need it Mm. to be huge and all transforming and like the one silver bullet. And I feel sometimes like with mindfulness, Mm. (laughs) do people have to play the long game with it? Do they start start to feel like changes quite quickly? Like what's the selling point of mindfulness? Because I feel like there's always this thing, like we know what we should be doing, but we find it kind of hard to think about how to make that shift or what's going to happen and give it to me quickly. Yeah, I think it's such a great point. It's sort of the age of impatience and urgency (laughs) and quick fixes. That's also part of the reason that I created something like Mindful in May because I think, and I'm sure you can relate with the programs that you run, what I've discovered is that one of the most important ingredients to ongoing and enduring change and transformation is community and support. It's just invaluable. And that's why a lot of the people that come to my programs, they've downloaded six apps onto their phone. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, they're just not using them. They've Mm -hmm. got no community. They've got no support. And so, for example, with Mindful May, it goes for a month and people are part of this real-time experience and they're in the online community and they're connecting with people from all over the world and they're also being really supported through the program. All they have to do is open their inbox every day and they get the content they need to do for the day, you know, which is the 10-minute meditation or the video. And then, you know, I ended up evolving the program into sort of a follow-up program called the Mind Life Project Membership, which goes for, it's ongoing. And that's where we meet once a month. And it's just been extraordinary to me that there've been people in there for two years that are still there, are still practicing. And yes, there are times that they fall off track, but just having that community to come back to is just essential. So I think that's number one. I think number two is there's just a certain understanding as humans that in some ways, no pain, no gain. Like you have to be able to tolerate discomfort somewhat in order to grow and benefit. And if you, I like to use the metaphor of getting physically fit. When we think about getting physically fit, if you haven't been doing any exercise, when you take yourself to the gym for the first week or maybe even two weeks, it's not necessarily going to feel good. 
but you kind of push yourself through that because you know that it's good for you. And you also know that if you get past that barrier, you are actually going to start feeling good. Your endorphins are going to kick in and you're going to naturally be taking yourself to the gym. And the same is true with meditation. I think because it is very counter to what we're normally doing, which is being overstimulated and distracted. And, you know, we can't take a breath without some kind of consumption of something to entertain us. When we start doing this, it can actually be really uncomfortable. So I set that expectation up from the beginning with my Vermeer. I, I tell people, look, this first week is going to be probably like detoxing off coffee or cigarettes. It might feel quite bad when you sit down. And that's really helpful because I think people have a misconception that sitting down to meditate is all about feeling calm and zen. And then for most people, when they start, it's not like that. And then they just come to the conclusion that they're bad at meditation or it's not the right thing for them. And they just sadly miss out on this vast opportunity of transformation. So I think having the right expectations is the second thing. And then the final thing is, again, another misconception of how long do you need to do this a day for it to be helpful? And there are different schools of meditation. Some suggest you have to do it 20 minutes twice a day. Again, with Mindful May, it's about kind of in line with the small steps. It's about breaking this down into manageable bits. And a lot of the research around creating habits is all about starting small. That's really, you know, the essence of it. And so it's about starting small and giving yourself positive reinforcement and then building the habit and growing it over time rather than flogging yourself with an unrealistic expectation of, 30, 40 minutes a day where you end up failing after a week and then you think you're pathetic. And then again, you've missed this opportunity. Yep. Yep. I see that all the time. That's why I'm like, just start with breakfast. Yeah, you know, don't exactly. change everything overnight. I'm exactly the same as you. And the benefit is that when people do just start in little, small, achievable chunks, that that momentum is addictive because suddenly, yeah, you're changing the story in your head around, oh, I can do this. Mm. Oh, this and so oh, there's when- one, can I, can I just add, there's a fourth ingredient there, which I think is really powerful and helpful. And that is self-compassion. And that's something that yeah. gets caught through the process of meditation. It's a really big principle and attitude that gets cultivated. And for me, it's probably been almost one of the most important aspects of mindfulness that I've noticed has helped really support me in my life. And the thing about self-compassion is that it's about really starting to relate to yourself really as a friend and someone that you love rather than really an enemy and just someone really nasty. And when you do that, it means that when you fall off track, which I've done many times, rather than beating yourself up, you just go, you know what, life is busy and I'm just doing the best I can and I'm just going to get back on track. And that just begin again message, which I also weave through the teaching is just so crucial. And I think it gives people this permission to be not perfect, which is what we're not as human beings. We're speaking the same language. Um, (laughs) 100% begin again. Like when people join the small steps membership, it's like, you can just go right ahead and leave guilt at the door. And, you know, especially when you're thinking about something like mindfulness that is supposed to be bringing something good into your life, don't turn it around. And then make it something that you can be mean to yourself about. Just begin again. I love, love, love that message. Mm. But I, and I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned this vast opportunity for transformation. And I would love to talk a little bit about that. What changes in people's lives? How do they actually see the benefits, feel the benefits? Mm. 
like tangibly, what does that start to look like for people when they commit to something like Mindful in May? It's a great question. I mean, what comes up for me is what aspect of your life isn't touched by this practice? And so let me just explain that what we're talking about here. So we're talking about a mental training. We're talking about a mental training that's something about training our attention to be more present so that we actually start to see what's going on in our lives from moment to moment. So we see what's going on both internally. So I mean, we start to sense our emotional landscape much more quickly. And so we start to know how we're feeling. And if we know how we're feeling, then we can actually have freedom of choice to make decisions that can support us more effectively. If you're so disconnected from yourself that you don't know when you're feeling angry or you don't know when you're feeling anxious, then what you're going to do is just, you know, overeat or just do behaviors that are actually not supporting you to kind of manage that effectively. So this is an attention training that actually builds self-awareness and self-awareness is one of the fundamental pillars of what we speak about when we talk about emotional intelligence, which is really simply, it's, you know, a big phrase that simply means our ability to know what we're feeling, manage our emotions because we know what we're actually feeling and interact more effectively and have more effective, fulfilling relationships. And when you think about life, it's really, that's all life is. It's made up of lots of different emotions from moment to moment, day to day, week to week, year to year. And it's made up of lots of different relationships, whether that's family, friends, work, what have you. So really that's why it does touch every aspect of our lives a vast spectrum of what people notice, but just to pull a few things, I think in the domain of relationships is really huge because that's often where we get so emotionally triggered. And so as a parent, you know, a lot of your listeners are parents. So as a parent, people start to notice that they have so much more patience and they're so much better able to manage, you know, if it's the toddler stage, just those really tricky, big emotions and tantrums and that whole stage if it's teenagers just the uncertainty and the unpredictability so there's just a lot more skill in managing those high pressure high emotion situations because rather than being pulled into that like quicksand and losing your sense of grounding you have an awareness of what you're feeling so you can regulate your own emotional state before trying to help someone else it's like that thing on the airplane put your own oxygen mask on first you know So there's that realm of relationships. Then there's work. So, you know, we've talked about technology and fragmented attention, and this is a real problem, uh, multitasking. And Mm -hmm. so this practice where we're actually training our attention, and again, just to touch on the research, there is research that shows two months of this meditation practice, and it actually suggests that it grows a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is behind the forehead, the most highly evolved part of the brain, And it's responsible for lots of things, including focus and emotional management. You're actually giving this part of your brain a workout and it's developing. And so you're getting better at paying attention and focusing and managing your emotions. So this comes in handy in work when you can actually, you know, take a pause, reprioritize, catch yourself when you find yourself diverting your attention to Facebook and scrolling when you should be working or catching your attention much more quickly when you're getting sucked into the vortex of email when actually what you need to do is focus on one particular task with a deadline. So there's the workspace. And then there's also, you know, times of uncertainty. We're not very good at as humans. You know, we really want to hang on to control and certainty. So 
these can be ranging from waiting for a medical test, you know, or these times where anxiety can really get the better of you. So the mindfulness, A, helps you develop self-awareness that you actually notice, wow, I'm feeling really anxious right now. And then there's a whole realm there where there's a lot of training around thoughts and our relationship to thoughts and how we can start relating to thoughts in a different way that completely transforms our experience of fear and anxiety. So, I mean, it really, it's profound. And (laughs) that's why I dedicate all my time to this now, because I just think, I can't think of anything that's actually more powerful to help people, you know, apart from let's say nutrition, but yeah, I just see this as such a worthwhile, such a significant tool that can help people. And really, when you look at where mindfulness came from, you know, it's about 2,500 years old. Originally, it was described in the Buddhist text. And ironically, 2,500 years ago, a guy named the Buddha was pretty similar to us and really looked around and thought, wow, this being human, it's filled with a lot of challenges. There's a lot of inherent suffering that we can't get away from as humans. And how can we actually reduce a bit of that suffering? And so he dedicated his life to exploring that question. And he discovered meditation as a real antidote because it opens up this self-awareness. And through that, we start to understand how we actually can contribute more suffering to our lives, really add to that burden or subtract to it and actually find greater happiness. And isn't that what it's all about, really, at the end of the day? like? How can we yeah, just like move through this life with more joy, more happiness, understanding that we're having a human experience and there's going to be all of this different stuff, but there's tools available to us to just use. And yeah, 100%. And it actually doesn't need to be complicated. So on that, I'd love to understand like what happens when you sign up to Mindful in May? What sort of experience are you in for? I would love for you to share where people can go and sign up because it, I don't know, they're probably like me going, okay, I need this. <laughs> Give it to yeah, me now. So it's really, yeah, it's really simple. So basically all they need to do is go to mindfullymay.org before May the 1st and register. And it's $49 to register, which is a registration fee. And then they're invited. It's an optional donation to the cause or set up your own fundraising page. And it becomes like a fun run for your mind. So it's like how people go for a run and they get sponsored to raise money. So that's the same thing. And you're getting sponsored because you're trying your best. You're committing to meditate for a month, 10 minutes a day. And so mindfully, May, you're registering to the program, which is going to give you all the tools you need. So there's meditations every day when you log in to the platform. Um, you get video interviews from the world's most incredible leaders in the space. So you'll hear more about this research from the people that are actually doing it. You'll hear from some of the top meditation teachers that talk about some of the common obstacles that you'll come up with and how to actually navigate them so that you can keep progressing. And you'll also be part of this online community where you'll be able to share and see everyone else that's doing it at the same time. So it's quite an immersive experience. But again, I always say to people, They say, oh, what if I get sponsored and then I can't do it every day? And I say, there's really no failing this challenge. It's really just give it a go. And again, if you fall off for a few days, don't be harsh on yourself. Just get back on track. If 10 minutes feels too much to you, just commit to two minutes a day. Make whatever commitment you feel is realistic and then keep your judgments till the end. Because I always say to people, it's, it's see it as an experiment and an opportunity to be supported to go on this experiment. And then at the end of it, make your decision. Ask yourself, has this actually 
benefited me in any way? And if the answer is no, then God, don't do it. There's too many other things to get done in a day. But I have to reassure people and say that, you know, each year I literally get thousands of messages from people who are blown away. They cannot believe that 10 minutes a day has actually had the influence on them that it has. And as a sort of someone very inspired by the science, I wasn't happy with the anecdotes. So we actually did a study, a pilot study on the program, and it actually did show, it did support that there were you know, benefits after a month of practicing for 10 minutes a day, which is great because people often ask, how much meditation do you need to do a day to feel the benefits? So we can say that 10 minutes is enough. We didn't do brain scans, so I can't tell you what happens to your brain, but I can tell you that people definitely experience quite significant benefits. Give me more. I, yeah, I'm loving it. We are going to have links in the show notes to Mindful in May. We also will be sending it out via our newsletter because, you know, thank goodness we've had this conversation. It is so, I've seen Mindful in May for years, but do you know what? Sometimes you actually do just need to really connect with it in a way that resonates with you. And I think the other thing is when you know something's going to, oh, next year I'll do it. Um, oh, yeah. this May is actually a really busy May. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of like all the more reason. I do think that we stumble upon things at the right time. Oh, you know, I, so many people have said to me, I've seen the posters for the last three years and I don't know why I didn't sign up until now, but there's always a reason why now, you know. So I always say to people, it's the time is right when it's right. You'll hear, you know, for those that are listening to the episode, they might have just stumbled upon this episode and thought, oh, wow, like, maybe I'll sign up and do it. And it could be life-changing, you know? (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? It's sort of one of those things where it's like, really, what have you got to lose? (laughs) I'm always after ways to gently and, you know, with grace and compassion, incorporate things into my life. And that will help me be the best version of Lisa. So that's always what I'm looking for now. What's going to you know, increase my vibration and frequency, what will help me manage in a really brain-based way my life. Because I've, I mean, I've just kind of been working out that that's really the game. Like the Mm. game is how we think and recognizing when we're thinking bullshit thoughts and knowing that we've Mm. got a bit more control over that than we Mm. think and giving myself opportunities to create space in my mind. So self-hypnosis audios have been amazing for me and explore, like I have to do guided meditations. I find just Oh, I think they're really crucial. I think they're really, I think there's nothing wrong with doing them forever. It's not like you're, you know, it's, it's really helpful. If it feels too hard to, like, I remember when Nick first got a little meditation stool and was learning this stuff like, you know, 12 years ago or something. And it's just like, I don't know, that just feels a bit hard. Like I'm just going to be, my brain's not going to work. I'm not going to be able to do it, blah, 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 all the stories. And it gets to the point, I think, where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to find a way to make it happen. And so I'm so glad to introduce Mindfully May and you and your amazing energy to the Small Steps community because I think it could be some people's way to mm. get involved in mm. this and start making it a part of life in a really accessible small stepsy kind of way. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I just want to finish by saying that just to take a moment and think we have one lifetime and one of the most influential parts of our life that determine whether we're happy, sad, whatever is the mind. 
You know, yeah. we can break our arm but still feel happy, you know, but if the mind is broken, if the mind is not in its best form, it's going to impact every part of our life. And so I guess I want to leave the listeners with a question, which is, you know, what could be more important actually than spending some time investigating your own mind, seeing as you carry it around with you your whole life and just put a little bit of time into it. And you might discover that there is so much in there to discover and that actually, you know, thoughts aren't exactly what you thought they were. And there's a whole new way of relating to the mind, which will open up so much more freedom, possibility, and less stress in your life. And so that's why I just want to really reach as many people as possible to offer them this practice. And I think so many people that do Mindfully May or have done, you know, learnt mindfulness, one of the most common things they say is, I cannot believe I hadn't discovered this sooner. I'm kicking myself. Like if I would have discovered this in my teenage years or, you know, I just imagine how much less suffering I would have gone through. And that's why I'm so thrilled that, that schools are introducing this because it really is a profoundly transformative practice. Well, I'm sold. So I hope everyone else got as much out of this conversation as I did. Thank you so much, Elise. And now that we've actually spoken and we have lived in the same suburb, literally a few streets away for the last 18 months, I bet we'll start bumping into each other. It's actually crazy that we haven't. Um, I'm sure like tomorrow morning I'll be doing school drop-off going, oh, my God, there's all these. <laughs> or you'll bump, we'll bump into each other in May and you'll like maybe that one day you won't have done your meditation and you'll look at me <laughs> and I'll be like, ah, don't worry, just begin again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go and play this again for myself. Thank you so much, Elise. Good luck with May. I love everything that it stands for and the way that you're bringing it to the world. So thanks. Thank you. And right back at you. Thanks for your work. I'm very inspired by everything you do too. So it was a pleasure to have the conversation. Thanks, Elise. For more inspiration, interviews and know-how, head to smallstepsliving.com. Small Steps Living, inspiring your best life one small step at a time.